Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And Jen, we're going to need a bigger podcast. We will. <laughs> we're talking about Jaws. We are in month two of the Steven Spielberg Be Kind Rewind, the recently renamed Be Kind Rewind feature here on The View from the Couch. We are going through a selection of Spielbergian flicks. And this week we're talking about, this might be the big one, Jaws. <laughs> well, I think you think that because this is one of your favorite movies. It's like not... whenever I ask you, you know, what are your favorite movies? Because I feel like favorite movies can change throughout time. One, as new movies come out. But right. two, depending on your mood, mm -hmm. you might be feeling different movies. But this one is consistently in your top five. It's almost Always in my top five and almost always within that top five, top three. And more often than not, top one or two. Jaws is a movie that I literally grew up watching. We had a babysitter when I was a kid. <laughs> this sounds really bad. But when I was a kid, she used to show us movies. She used to put movies on. That's how she babysat. That's how she took care of me and my brother. She'd put movies on. One of the movies was South Pacific. And the other one was Jaws. <laughs> similar movies. So, yeah, so similar. <laughs> Ironically, I grew up hating South Pacific, but loving Jaws. I loved Jaws so much that we used to play Jaws on the playground. I kid you not. I got in trouble in elementary school on the airbase for playing Jaws. We were passing notes in in class, and we weren't passing notes about like tee hee hee. I like Tammy so and so, or tee hee hee. Lisa who and hot likes you tee hee hee, or any of that crap. It was me writing stuff like, "Was everybody okay? Did they get out of the water all right?" And my teacher was like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell kind of notes are you passing? How dare you have an imagination?" Yeah, right. But we would we had these we had these big cement now late later in life I realized that the cement tubes that we were playing on were actually just pieces of like construction equipment that they had used to create a playground for us. Mm -hmm. But you know those gigantic like sewer tubes? Yeah. Yeah. They had a couple of those and we would play on top of those. I don't know if they were official. I don't know if they were actually part of the playground, but we were on top of them. That was my orca. That was my ship. And I was always either Hooper, Quint, or Brody. I wanted to be one of those three at any point in my life. At some point in my life, I wanted to be all three of those people. <laughs> I love this movie. There's not going to be any question whether I'm going to keep Rent or Erase this yeah, movie, Yeah, I already guys. know what your choice is. But. You need to put, like, a I, big, I, like, golden frame around it with spotlights on it. <laughs> and, you know, like, little twinkle lights. I Here's the thing. You know that I'm going to recommend it you know that i'm going to say let's keep it and i just want to get that out of the way because i don't i i don't want it to be it's going to be very obvious as we talk through it this isn't so much a what's he going to recommend it at as let's hear how much of a nerd this guy really is <laughs> about this movie i'll just sit back here and listen how about that <laughs> so <laughs> so we know i've seen it before have you seen it before I have. Okay. This, however, is only my third time watching it. Wow. Okay. I watched it. How did you one control time? yourself? <laughs> I am not the fan that you are. Obviously. <laughs> 
I watched it once when I was younger, maybe junior high, high school, something like that. Okay. I watched it again one time. You and Miles happened to be watching it, and I think I was in the same room, so uh, not actively so even, going to watch, but I did count, see it? it, and then watched it again for for covering this podcast. Fair. I have probably seen it at least twice a year, every year of my life, since I discovered it. At least <laughs> twice a year, and I'm not exaggerating. I, I believe you. Yeah. I honestly do. Uh, what's funny is that when once we decided to do this movie, we had just gotten a 4K movie, a 4K player, and one of the movies that I got was Jaws. That's always going to be one of the first movies I will ever buy. Jaws is a movie that I've had on every single format that I can think of, with the exception of a Laserdisc. I... The, I tested I tested the 4K player out with Jaws. I watched this movie at the beginning of this year, somewhere around May-ish time frame, right before summer. That's usually when I like to when I like to watch Jaws, right before summer, right before the beaches open. Not that there's any beaches around here, but you know, we have some. We got lots of lake beaches. Yeah, Lake Shore. You're not going to find any sharks in there. <laughs> you but, got Lake Shore. That's what you got. Not beaches. But there's lots of lots of sandy beaches. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody the casting crew and we can get on with this little love fest here? I sure would. <laughs> so this, of course, was directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. It was written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. Mm-hmm. Gottlieb. It stars Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, Murray Hamilton as Vaughn. Donald Trump. I mean, Vaughn, yeah. Sorry. As Vaughn. <laughs> and there's other people involved here, too. Well, they're character actors and characters, and a lot of and a lot of people that live on Martha's Vineyard where this was shot that actually are in this movie that are in little bit parts. Great stuff, but yeah. So that's it. Yeah, directed by Steven Spielberg. The first time Spielberg's movie had a John Williams score. In yep. fact, Spielberg is the guy that recommended John Williams to George Lucas for Star oh, Wars. Okay. So he's responsible. Spielberg's responsible. Spielberg works with John Williams, or I guess he's not going to anymore, but has worked with John Williams on just about every movie he's ever made, with very few exceptions. Very few exceptions. Well, this movie did win three Oscars. It won for Best Sound, ah. Best Film Editing, yes. and Best Music. Weird, huh? Yep. Who would have thought that... Oh, wait. Bernard Herrmann would have thought that just a simple little like three-note three thing could, like, could just jar people. Bernard Herrmann did the score for Psycho. Re, re, re. Mm -hmm. Perennial, right? Yep. So he would know. John Williams was just playing around on a piano. Mm -hmm. And Spielberg was like, that's it. <laughs> Not really. Spielberg was like, are you kidding me? This is what you got? And Williams was like, yeah. And then they put it to the film and Spielberg's like, oh, okay, I like that. That'll right. work. Let's right. do that. So, yeah, John Williams. I mean, what can you say about John Williams that hasn't already been said? But the guy is literally the greatest living film composer and possibly the greatest film composer in the history of film. He's good. At least the most prolific, right? Yeah. 
if nothing else. She's attached to a lot of big name movies. I mean, the dude has given us the soundtrack of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. The dude has done everything. Mm -hmm. Everything from Jaws to Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and beyond. Yep. Johnny Williams is one of the people who got me listening to film scores. So there's another reason why I like this movie. Shoot, okay, I'll just, let's just jump Shall in. Shall we get into yeah, the I'll, story? Yeah, let's just jump in. You're giving me this look like, shut up. <laughs> let's move on. This let's is going to be a three-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we're going to need a bigger show. So in the early morning hours, just off Amity Island, in the ocean, Chrissy Watkins goes skinny dipping. And she's attacked and dragged underwater by an unforeseen force. But we all know what it is now. But in 1975... People weren't ready. So this whole opening scene where she's thrashing around. Yeah. Do you know anything about how this was filmed? I'm pretty sure it was scuba divers. Do you know? I was reading that there was some kind of mechanical thing that she was hooked up to that was kind of thrashing around. And she actually broke a rib. Did she really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, while she was doing this. But you could kind of tell, like, when I was watching it this time, I'm like, oh, that's so fake. That's not what she would look like. (laughs) Like the... I mean, because it pulls you back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, I don't think that's what that's going to do. It's called Jaws fake. It it looks it looks super fake. So at the time, I'm guessing this was scary when I was younger. It was scary to me at that time, too. But when I'm watching it this time and I'm kind of looking at it a little bit more in depth, it looked a little goofy. But it's it's what 70s this was out 1975 oh that's right it's as old as i am um (laughs) i feel like it looked pretty good for the timing it was coming out i think gotcha okay sure i still am affected by this her screams are blood curdling like it's tough to watch it's 70s girl screams in the movie (laughs) you don't like 70s girl screams in the movies you the texas chainsaw massacre oh god that's that's your favorite you like that one no too much screaming for you I, I, I could maybe like that movie if there wasn't so much screaming. I hate it. <laughs> I hate the screaming. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So That's okay. So the next morning, Police Chief Martin Brody, who is a recent transplant to the island from New York City, is going about his daily routine with his family, wife Ellen, and sons Michael and Sean, when he gets a call about a missing person, Chrissy. He investigates, and he finds the girl's remains on the beach. Later that morning, he's filling out his report at his police station, at the police station, and he gets a call from the coroner's office who tells him it was a shark attack. Martin moves quickly to close the beaches and rushes off to Averill Bay where a troop of Boy Scouts is swimming for one of their merit badges. Quick question. Yeah. If there's a single shark attack somewhere, do they typically close all the beaches? They probably do until until they've like at least made sure that the shark has moved on. Okay. All right. I would think. I don't know. I'm literally asking. I have no idea. Well it seemed like a weird thing to me. Really? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you a question then. So if you were gonna go in the ocean and you saw that somebody had just that day or the day before been attacked by a shark there, it wouldn't give you pause? You wouldn't be like Oh, oh it- hold up. It would, 100%. Okay. But I just thought it was weird that the authorities were going to close all the beaches down mm-hmm. because of, there was the shark attack. Because I figured, okay, well, that does happen. Sure. And I'm sure there is some time frame that they do shut the area down. But yeah. 
I don't know. Of course, nowadays they have helicopters and stuff that they can go out and look for this stuff. They had helicopters in the 70s, too. But did they do that? Did they fly on the around the beaches to They're look for sharks? They're doing it in the movies. They're oh. doing it in this movie. All right. I don't know. I, you know, I, I've it's always... not a huge thing to me. I was just right. curious because yeah. I, I don't know. No, I get it. I, I've, I have always just kind of chalked this up to Martin's from New York. Later on, he's going to have a monologue about how... You know, crime's out of control in New York. You can't take, you can't let your kids go to school by themselves. You got to walk them to school. Crime is rampant. Blah blah blah. This is Martin reacting to what he what he knows. Mm-hmm. One murder could lead to other murders, so he's sure. going to take action like immediately. Well, that makes sense. It also it also sets him as the outsider. Mm-hmm. None of the townspeople are that concerned about this shark attack. Right. Martin is. Mm-hmm. Martin's very concerned about this, but mm-hmm. he's not an islander. And in fact, right. they've made that very clear quite a few times. Okay, th- that's that's probably where I'm going. I feel like people that are there, mm-hmm. this this can happen. They right. probably see sharks. Yeah. Probably don't get bitten a lot because sharks don't typically attack people. I mean, right. that's a rare thing. Right. So I, him running out, I was like, wait, wait, is that what they do? But that makes sense. He's yeah. the outsider. He, that wouldn't be a normal thing for him. So, okay, I this, got it. This I movie's it. all about outcasts taking care of the people that that don't believe them or don't, you know, like the scientist and the grizzled fisherman and the cop from somewhere else. They're all outsiders, and they're all the ones that are going to protect them. This is the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, you bring X-Men up for everything. I'm just kidding. It's not the X-Men. Oh, my God. I, I'm just... I'm just bringing that up for your benefit, really. So, <laughs> anyway. Oh, I should point out, I just want so the listeners know, I wrote this summary out from my brain. I used no other sources other than my brain and having watched this movie twice a year for my entire life. <laughs> just so you know. So, when he is on the barge or the, the, the ferry to get out to the landing at Averill Bay, he is intercepted by Mayor Larry Vaughn, who... Jerkbag. Right, he is a jerkbag. He convinces the coroner to recant his assessment of the reason for Chrissy's death. And he has coerced him into saying that Chrissy actually met with her end at the hands or the prop of a boat propeller. Because boat propellers have leave teeth mark. Right. Yes. Boat bo- propellers do leave teeth marks or tooth marks. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it makes sense. No, it, it makes definitely sense. does. Definitely does. Also, so, quick question to yeah. you. Another quick question. Yeah. The, you hear in the background that they say, oh, the season is about to open. Everything's coming. But it's the 4th of July. No, this. Okay. So what you're seeing here, this part is it takes place weeks before the 4th of July. This is mid-June. The beginning of this Do movie. they tell us this somewhere? No, but we're going to... I really thought this was just days apart. No, well, maybe not. No, you're probably right. Yeah. So, yes, the summer starts for them on the 4th of July. That seems really late. Kind of, but not really. Think about it. What's the big? What's the first big holiday in the summer? Right, but kids get out of school, mm-hmm. and usually people will flock to you know summer homes and go to the beaches. Yeah. I would think you would start getting the summer pickup in June. No, 
I mean, most places on the coast, it it's it's the whole summer, June, July, August. Well, when Martin goes into the store to get the signs and the stuff to make the signs, there's a guy in there, and he's complaining to the store owner that he hasn't got anything that he ordered on in the store. I think he says something about the summer dinks are going to be here in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So maybe that puts this just a couple of weeks before the 4th of July, because it's very apparent that the summer dinks, which is what they call them, you find that out in a deleted scene, that they call, the, the islanders call off-islanders and tourists summer dinks. The summer dinks are coming at 4th of July, and when there's a, there's a huge scene or huge sequence where you see these people flocking literally from ferries to the island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this must be, there must be some big... Thing. This must be like the grand opening of the beach, you know, each year or something like mm-hmm. that. Now, you know, living on the coast when I was a kid, you know, the 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 beaches were open, but like summer didn't really start until mid to late June, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, stuff was open, but there wasn't it wasn't packed. It wasn't packed until later, because you wanted to get warmer before you go into the water. Especially in Martha's Vineyard. That's north. That's up near Cape Cod. Okay. So you definitely want to be late in the summer or midsummer before it starts to get warm enough when okay. you're going to want to be jumping in the water. All right. I mean, so, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm just I'm just speculating. It never really. I mean, was an in issue Minnesota me, so. here, you you it is plenty cold here, and you still will go in the water in June. No, no, me won't. <laughs> no, a lot of people do. No, I, know, I don't. I know. But but if, if I remember correctly, if you go up to Lake Superior, that's a lot bigger body of water. Right. That water stays cold all year round. Right. People don't typically swim in Lake Superior, if right. I remember right. Okay. I mean, you'll see kids out there sometimes, but the water's really cold. Yeah. So it has to be pretty hot, I think, before it feels good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say that that's probably a safe That makes sense to me, then. Martin is obviously upset about this because the coroner just told him that it was a shark attack not a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And now he's going back on his story. But the mayor is saying, look, this is this is a summer town. We need this money. Otherwise, we go under. The economy is at stake here. The economy of Amity Island is at stake here. Now... Where have we heard this before? <laughs> the money is more important than people's lives. Weird. Imagine I just, that. I, it's almost as if like a that... couple of years ago there was a thing. What was that? <laughs> oh, yeah, COVID and the whole thing with the Trump stuff. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. There, and in fact, there was a meme going around after that where, where they had Larry Vaughn on there and he was like wanted to keep the beaches open, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing. So. But yes, this is not a joke that I'm I'm the author of. I've I've well, and in so. in reality, yeah. I mean that is something you see in lots of movies. Yeah, it absolutely. is something you see in reality. I mean everything from, you know, corporations and pollution, and I mean it's 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 not just COVID and Trump and this mayor. I mean this is a, this is a problem out there. So mm-hmm. you know, well yeah, when people put when when. People in charge put profit before people. Mm-hmm. You have a major issue, mm-hmm. and they definitely put profit before people in this movie. And you know what? They wouldn't have even had to necessarily close the beaches, 
post a sign that said, you know, just just be aware that there was a shark sighting or that there is, you know, you could say something and just notify people so they could at least be aware of their surroundings, give them the option if they want to go in. Cause I'm sure some people would still swim. If there's sharks in there, you see people in Florida in the beaches all the time. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like there's other ways to handle it besides just completely ignoring it and saying that she was hit by a boat. Right. Absolutely. To your point about people going in the water anyway, everybody knows at this point, you know, because K- Hendricks, the, the deputy, when, when intercepts the mayor and says, we had a shark attack. Yeah. And the mayor tells the city council. The city council coerces the coroner. Mm-hmm. So now... Everybody in that city council and the mayor, their family knows about it. Everybody knows at this point. You know how a small town works. Right. Amity's a small town. And so everybody knows about this. They all know that there was a shark attack, but they're still in the water. Mm -hmm. They think it's an isolated incident because Mm -hmm. that's what they do. Just like Floridians and hurricanes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to stop their day-to-day business because it's a Category 1 hurricane if they're in Orlando. You know? They're not. Mm -hmm. So... Brody is watching the water intently, and he is unable to stop another shark attack in front of the crowded beach. His own kid is in the water when this happens. The kid's not the one that gets attacked. A child named Alex Kintner is the one who is attacked. Now, I have to say, Spielberg has balls here. He kills a kid. Yep. In a bloody geyser of a mess. Yep. I give him credit for that yep. because not a lot of people are going to kill children. Yep. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Mrs. Kintner feels horribly guilty about allowing her kid to go back out? Because he comes to her and she and he's like, I just want to go back out for five more minutes. And she says, eh, I don't know. And he's like, come on, mom, just a little bit longer. What, what parent wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. What parent wouldn't? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think she's definitely feeling guilty about that. I mean, you would. Oh, hell yeah. I would, I would too. <laughs> I, I understand it completely yeah, if absolutely. she feels guilty. Absolutely. Yeah. Alex's mom, Mrs. Kintner, she puts a bounty on the shark, $3,000. This is so stupid. Why? How are you going to know which freaking shark it is? That's a good question. So that's actually going to come up later in the movie. So the city council convenes to discuss the situation and let Martin kind of tell them what they're going to tell the people what they're going to do. He's got a bunch of journalists and some local business owners that are there in the council chambers. And he says they're going to close the beaches and they're going to bring in some extra summer deputies. And when he says they're going to close the beaches, everybody loses their damn mind. Now, keep in mind, two people are dead. These people don't care. They want their money. That's it. They don't care that two people are dead. Mm -hmm. They turn on Martin so quickly here. Yeah. Now, if it was not an outsider saying this, do you think that they would have the same reaction? No. I don't either. Okay, good. So we're on the same page there anyway. So the mayor tells everybody, no, 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 it's only for 24 hours. But Brody never agreed to that. And they're still, like, shouting and hollering and screaming until you hear this horrible screech. And everybody turns around to see what it is, and it's Quint. Being Uh, obnoxious. Yes. He is being 
very obnoxious. In fact, there's even other a deleted scene where he's even being just as obnoxious just to a kid. But well, we we won't talk about that. But Quint says that he will kill the shark, but he's not going to do it for three thousand dollars. He's only going to do it for ten. And everybody's like, okay, I guess we'll take that into consideration, maybe? You know, and one thing I was thinking, too, you know, this 3000 and 10000 I'm like, that doesn't seem like a huge chunk for something like this, but then this was the 70s, so that would be a lot. It would be a lot, but think about this. Their entire economy is on the line. Yeah. If he can kill the shark for $10,000 yeah. and it's pulled from everybody in town, it's not mm-hmm. a lot for everybody in town. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe a couple of grand, you know? But still, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Now, do you want to hear a tale of a seven-year-old Jaws fanatic? Sure. I ate premium saltine crackers because Quint eats them <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. I thought Quint was the epitome of cool. Like, I thought Seriously? Quint, oh, I love Quint. Quint is He's... amazing. Okay. <laughs> Quint is amazing. He's such a badass. This dude... Goes and catches sharks, which, I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not like, pro-murdering sharks for fun. But, like, dude goes out and catches sharks and then makes trophies out of their teeth. He's like, see? Look what I did. Then he makes his own freaking, like, pot liquor. Like, this dude is a badass, right? Like, you don't, like, he's a badass. I liked Quint. I thought Quint was cool. Okay. I liked all three of the main yeah, lead I, males yeah, of this I fi- movie. Yeah, I figure yeah, I figured you would at varying um, times. Well, Quint, I think, is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think he's super cool and badass, but he's interesting. <laughs> he's definitely that. He's definitely that. So, Mrs. Kintner's bounty has the locals and people from the mainland all in a tizzy. They want that three thousand bucks. So it basically causes chaos at the docks. And while Martin is trying to cage the madness that's happening around the uh, the island, a, a stranger shows up, Matt Hooper, who is from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute on the mainland. Brody had called them and requested a shark expert, and Hooper is his guy. So Brody takes Matt to inspect the remains of Chrissy Watkins, and the coroner is there. Now, he basically shames the coroner. Mm -hmm. He knows that the coroner knows that this is a shark attack. It doesn't take Hooper long at all to divine this information. He takes the, it's like, it's just, when they bring the remains, it's just in a little, like, tray. Like, what you'd think of, like, a serving tray, almost. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just in a little serving tray with, like, like like, a sheet over it or something. And he pulls the sheet away, and that's it. That's all that's left. It's basically an arm and part of her torso. Mm hmm that's all that's left of her. Boat accident. This is not a boat accident. <laughs> but he says it was a shark. And he says, not not only is it a shark, it's a huge fucking shark. A <laughs> huge shark. Yeah. So meanwhile, some of the local fishermen catch a large tiger shark, which is not a common fish for those waters. So... Everyone, except for Hooper, 
assumes that this is the shark. This is the one. Everybody's celebrating. They're hoisting it up to take pictures. Hooper is taking measurements of the shark's mouth, being very scientific about it. And they are kind of shoving him out of the way and like, get out of here with your bite radius crap. I'll shove your head in here. Get out of here. You know, that whole, you know, the whole like anti-science movement thing mm-hmm. here, right? So he's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I don't want to get my ass beat over this, but I don't know if it is for sure the shark. So he tells Brody that they should cut the shark open because the digestive tract of a tiger shark is really, really slow, apparently. And whatever he's eaten in the last 24 hours is going to be inside its stomach. Now, I don't know why they wouldn't, <laughs> and I'm sure nowadays they would, right. immediately take this shark somewhere and... Investigate. Investigate. Right. And figure out, is this shark actually the shark that they're looking for. Now, a little tidbit for you. Do you know any background information about this shark that was hanging there? This shark was flown up from Florida. It was was an actual shark. It was an actual dead shark. It was dead. It stank to high hell. And yes, they said it smelled horrible. Yes, it was was hideous because I guess it took a while to get it to Martha's Vineyard from Florida Mm -hmm. and it wasn't packed very well. So it it was was hideous. It was hideous apparently. Uh. Gross. Yeah. yeah, the thing that always got me is that why wouldn't they investigate? If you have a murderer, you investigate if you have a suspect, right? You got right. somebody that you're like, hey, this might be the guy. You take fingerprints, you know, whatever. DNA nowadays, maybe not in the 70s, but nowadays. So this, the easy way to do it here is cut the shark open. If a kid falls out of him, right. you got your guy. Obviously, you don't do it right there on the dock because <laughs> right. that's completely inappropriate, but... Take it somewhere and then do it. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mrs. Kintner shows up. She wants to see this creature that has eaten her child, supposedly. And she confronts Martin. She smacks him and says, you knew that there was a shark out there and you let people go swimming. So they're blaming him. Yeah. They're blaming Martin, the outsider, of course. Right. Even though he wanted to close the beaches. Yeah, he wanted the beaches closed. He put the signs up first, or wanted to put the signs up first, Mm -hmm. even though Vaughn is the one. Right. Right? But Martin still feels responsible. Of course he does. He's a decent human being. Right. Right. Yeah, because Vaughn says, I'm I'm sorry, Martin, she's wrong. And he says, no, she's not. Right. No, she's not. She's not wrong. I did let people go swimming anyway. Yeah. I should have stopped it, but I didn't. Right. I wasn't able to. Yeah. For whatever reason. Now, in this case, the reason is, of course, that he's the outsider and nobody listens to him. So, but still. So, that night, he is so dejected from this situation and from hearing from Hooper that this is probably not the shark, that he decides to get drunk. And he has, he's sitting at the sitting at the dinner table, he has this interaction, interaction with his kid, Sean, the littlest one who is mimicking all the moves that his dad's making. Like, he makes moves with his fingers, he makes a, make a, makes a growly face. Every single time Miles has done this to me, I think about this scene. <laughs> Every single time. This movie this movie is burned into my brain in a way that no other movie is. You'd think it would be Star Wars, but it's not. It's this movie. I was absolutely fascinated by it. Absolutely fascinated by it. So, Hooper shows up, and he invites himself in, He's got wine. He invites himself to eat the leftovers. 
<laughs> yeah, he just takes them. He yeah, doesn't he even like yeah. get invited to <laughs> take yeah. it. Is anybody eating this? And he just starts chowing down. I'm like, wow, what the hell, man? I'm guessing it's I, 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 the way I've always taken it is it's a small town. It's obviously late at night. Places aren't open. Right. Where's he going to eat? Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't have anywhere to eat, so he figures he's going to show up with some wine and hope they've got food. Plus, he wants to talk to Martin. Yes, he does. He, do, he, he wants to talk to Brody because he thinks that Brody knows... Brody, Brody believes him. He knows that Brody believes him. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a kinship there. They're both outsiders. Mm-hmm. They both know that it's them against the rest of the town who doesn't believe what's going on. So, he convinces... Well, no. Martin is the one who says, all right, let's have another drink, and then let's go down, and we're going to cut that shark open. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see. Mm-hmm. So they do. They go to the they go to the dock. They cut the shark open. They pull out a couple of fish carcasses. They pull out a tin can and a license plate that I, I've always wanted to do, like a replica of this license plate, the Sportsman Fisherman Louisiana license plate, that they pull that out, and Martin says, did he eat the car, too? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, he did. No, no, he didn't. But this, that's all they find. They don't find human remains in this animal at all. So this is not the culprit. This is an innocent victim, this shark. Of the the, the town's fervor for $3,000, their fervor for money led to the shark being killed. Mm-hmm. Not, the, not the guilty party shark, mm-hmm. but this shark. This, the fact that they don't find human remains spurs the men to get on a boat and go out and check out the waters in the middle of the night. And they come across a dilapidated and broken down boat of a local fisherman named Ben Gardner. Hooper gets in the water and, like, investigates. There's a hole that's been busted into the side of the hull, and he finds the tooth of a great white shark embedded in the wood of the boat hull. And he says it's the size of a shot glass. But he gets startled by by the big jump scare which is ben gardner's one-eyed carcass <laughs> leaning out of the hole <laughs> basically just doing the old thing right out the yeah. right out the hole he gets startled and he drops the the tooth so he doesn't have evidence to show vaughn when they confront him the next day mm-hmm. so they try to plead their case but he is not having any of it that's because he is more vaughn is more worried about the vandalism yeah. than he is about a killer shark on the Appearances loose. Appearances and money. That's all that mattered to him. How things look. And he's straight up lying to the press, yeah, too. Yeah, he really is. He really is. So he doesn't think there's any danger. He thinks that the shark that they caught is the shark, mm-hmm. regardless of what Hooper's weirdo science says about like how long the kid would still be in the stomach of the shark. He wants the town to thrive this summer. He says it's going to be the best summer we've ever had, and tomorrow is the 4th of July. So if you're worried about it, you get your ass out in a boat and you keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to keep the beaches open. So Brody and Hooper make a bunch of calls. There's a sequence where we see the we see the tourists coming in, and we see Hooper and Brody and even Ellen on the phone calling people and like hey get me some help you know get some people out here we're going to try and get together like a task force of people that are going to be out on boats while the deputies are on the land and they're going to try and manage this shark situation Mm -hmm. on the fourth of july 
no one's going in the water. Like, nobody wants to go in the water. So for all their bravado, nobody wants to go in the water. But, so, the mayor, Mayor Vaughn, goes to one of the council members and says, Look, man, nobody's getting in the water, but they will if you go get in the water. Now, notice... Vaughn's not getting in the water. <laughs> Vaughn's sending other people to get in the water. He's like, there's no shark. Go get in the water. What's the matter with you? So everybody starts going in the water once the council people, once the council member goes in with his family or his grandkids, it looks like. And while they're in there, while people are in the water, floating around, having a good time, a fin appears and it causes absolute chaos. People get trampled. But... It's a hoax. Stupid, stupid kids. They could have gotten shot. Stu- yes. Two stupid kids with a cardboard fin were pranking people. But while all this craziness is going on, the real shark is cruising into an inlet that they call the pond. Mm-hmm. The pond's for the old ladies. I know it's for the old ladies. Just do it for the old man. But Brody's son is in the pond in his new boat with his friends. Mm-hmm. The shark attacks a guy who's trying to help them and capsizes the guy's boat. And in fact, capsizes Mike's boat as well. Everybody's in the drink at this point. He eats the guy and then cruises past Mike and his friends, but Mike is traumatized by this whole situation and he goes into shock. Uh, understandable. So. <laughs> right? Yeah, a guy gets eaten right in front of you while you're in the water with him. Yeah. That's that's some trauma right there. And at the hospital, we get what's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is Brody finally saying, I've had enough. I don't care that you think I'm an outsider and I don't, want to, don't know what I'm doing. Your ass is going to sign this voucher so that I can hire Quint and we're going to go and get this friggin' shark. Mm-hmm. And Vaughn still is trying to be like, look, man, I'm a victim too. He's over here saying, my kids were on the beach. I know what's going on. Nobody cares at this point, Larry. Just sign. (laughs) Just sign. And so he does. He does. And next day, Brody and Hooper visit Quint to tell him, hey, you're hired. And Brody insists that he and Matt are allowed to accompany Quint on their quest on the boat, on the Orca, which is the coolest boat Ever. I used to draw this boat. Like, if you, if we it's could like go a back. It's like little boat. Shh, you watch your mouth. <laughs> I, if you go back, <laughs> if you could go back and find, like, like my old textbooks from when I was a kid or, like, any pieces of paper from back then, I was drawing pictures of Jaws. And, Like, I was trying to draw the shark, and I was drawing this boat. I love this boat. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It, In reality, it was a piece of shit. Like, them, like, trying to use it was ridiculous. They had to, like, refurbish a bunch of it. But, like, so much of it, they were like, just fuck it. Just leave it. It'll be fine. It'll add to the character. But... It's not even, like, something that you would consider to be, like, an actual vessel that fishermen would use. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one good wave. All those windows, you get a wave that, that that smashes one of those windows, that thing's going down. Well, here's the thing, though. Yeah. Is it's perfect for Quint. Why? That fits his character. Why? What do you mean? 
that dumpy little boat fits oh, his character. You're calling Quint Dun- Oh, man, we are going to throw hands. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Do you mean he... Okay, let me just clarify this before I just turn everything off and walk out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm being theatrical. So... <laughs> But I do want to clarify this. Do you mean that he that it's like that it's a grizzled old like like boat that is like that's seen better days, that's like, you know, that's just like it's obviously weathered and used and like and, and like Quint feels like a guy who's been in the sun yes. for like his whole life and this boat feels the same way. You're yes. absolutely right there. You said dumpy and I'm like, Whoa, It is I dumpy. Take, don't you talk about my boat like that. So <laughs> Shall I leave the room and leave you in the boat alone for a few <laughs> I have minutes? Pictures of it over here. I will. So, so Quint, uh, and we find out in a in a deleted scene that he actually is shorthanded. But the reason that he takes Hooper and Brody on is that his his first mate is like, I'm not going. I wouldn't either. To go after this fucking shark with you, dude. You're out of your mind. <laughs> so, so, but anyway. At any rate, in the in the movie that we know, he simply says, "Okay, fine, we'll take him. That's mm-hmm. fine." Something intrigues him about Hooper, and he's like, "Fine." So the, the that later that day, everybody gets on the boat and they take off. They have what could be considered a first encounter with the shark. Depends on who you believe. Quint thinks it's the shark. Hooper thinks it's just a game fish. We kind of get the standoff with. Quint and Hooper, where Hooper is... At one point, Quint says to Hooper, you've got city hands, you've been counting money all your life. Whereas, you know, it's basically saying, like, you know, you don't really know the real world. You've been living in an ivory tower. I live in the real world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you've got this this practicality to Quint, and you've got this scientific nature to Hooper, and they clash mm-hmm. quite a bit early on. It gets remedied later, but, you know. So, but they, they have this, there's a big chase, not chase, but like a big moment where something takes off with the fishing line and they try and get it, but it like, it bites through the piano wire and that's that. But then later Brody is chumming the water. Now chum, for the people that don't know, is basically chopped up fish and blood that you throw in the water to draw sharks out, draw it's gotta smell fish. amazing. It does, but did you notice that he's like putting like Old Spice on a rag and sticking it up to his face Ugh. the whole time he's doing it? But Quint has charged Brody with doing that while Hooper drives the boat slow ahead so that they'll get like a chum line so that they can bring the shark out. And bring the shark out, they do. And Brody, of course, is the only one that sees it at first. And then he backs up and he gives us the line, you're going to need a bigger boat couple things here. When the shark comes up and Brody sees the shark, the expression on his face is, I think, my favorite part of this movie. (laughs) Yes. It's like, holy shit. Yep. Like, oh my God. It's great. And you're going to need a bigger boat was not scripted. No. It wasn't. It was ad-lib. It was ad-lib. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But Roy Scheider, I think... I think it bears saying Roy Scheider is a fantastic actor. Was a fantastic actor, rest in peace. And so his the look on his face is very naturalistic and very intentional. Like he mm-hmm. did a bang up job. It was so good. Yeah. Yep. 
that's that's how you would look like oh, yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah i mean you see a shark just like that a big. stunned look on your face yeah it makes itself known and the they try and catch it they 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 basically chase it and they harpoon it with a barrel that's meant to tire it out but it manages to escape it goes underwater not unheard of because it's a big big fish that it says it's about or quint says he's 25 feet three tons this shark. Now in the book, it's a she, just so you know. That night, the men drink and then they compare scars. <laughs> yeah. Which in, in a great in a great scene. I love that yep. scene. A great and bonding scene. It is a great bonding scene. Yep. Yep. Brody points out a scar on Quint's arm and says, What's that? And he tells him it's a tattoo of the USS Indianapolis. And Hooper, knowing the history of the Indianapolis, says Say what? <laughs> you were on the Indianapolis. And we get what is probably one of my favorite movie monologues ever, <laughs> ever put to film, ever. Quint's Indianapolis monologue. While not 100% historically accurate, it is so incredibly effective. He took what Carl Gottlieb and Peter Benchley had done, Robert Shaw, and he tweaked it, he rewrote it himself. This is pretty mostly good. Robert Shaw's doing. My note here is, well, they were having a good time, and he sure knows how to sober up a party. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so it doesn't last long, though, because they go they start singing, like, sea shanties or some shit. They do. I don't know they what do. that is. That's uh, a that's quite a experience for someone to go through, and then they go hunt these sharks later. Well, I mean, he says that the reason that he won't wear a life jacket is because he was terrified wearing a life jacket, waiting for the, the plane to pick him up mm -hmm. while sharks were basically picking men off. Yeah. I mean, he said, I'll never put a life jacket on again. And yeah, absolutely. This is the kind of thing that would make you want to, you know, murder sharks for a living. Mm -hmm. You know, he ate like all of his friends, <laughs> like yeah. sharks ate all of his friends. Yeah. So they get interrupted in their sea shanty with the shark attacking the boat. It's literally ramming the boat. And Quint manages to harpoon it again, puts another barrel on it, but it still manages to submerge. And at this point, it's getting to the point where you're thinking, okay, this thing can bring up a normal shark, can tire out a normal shark with one barrel. Mm -hmm. Now it's got two. This is getting a little kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Brody is completely shaken by the attack, and he decides he's going to radio the Coast Guard for help. But Quint is like, nah, I'm not doing that. And he attacks the CB radio, not Brody. He smashes the radio I with, don't understand this. This is so stupid. This is a completely like an Ahab thing. He doesn't want the Coast Guard out there because he is going to kill this shark. It's so stupid. This is the culmination of his life. It costs life. him his life. It's so dumb. The pursuit of this animal is his life. It, it became his life after that incident on the Indianapolis. Or... Not on the Indianapolis. Sure, but he is basically, I mean, this, a shark is attacking their boat. Mm -hmm. It's a dinky little boat that's probably not going to survive this. And he's basically writing all of their death warrants at this point. Right. He's completely isolated them at this yeah. point. With the exception of the fact that the boat still moves at this point, mm -hmm. and that you could take them in at any time, 
he just doesn't want anybody out there that could potentially take his kill away from him. He will be the one that will take this shark. He is Ahab, and that is his white whale. Yeah. 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 I I just... That's so dumb. And, He's certifiable. But, but it makes sense that this dude would do that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Quint is obsessed. Mm-hmm. To the point that he cares nothing for what will happen to him or the people around him. Mm-hmm. He is after this shark. And that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. While he and Brody are having an argument, the shark comes back, submerges again, and then the barrels pop up again. And they attach the barrels to the the back of the boat, hoping to drag the drag the shark basically backwards and drown it and that's not happening (laughs) the shark is amazingly strong and it starts to pull the orca while it's going full throttle backwards until the until the cleats that they have the ropes attached to pull away and the shark runs off the shark then starts to chase the boat And so the Quint's new plan is he's going to draw the shark into shallow water and drown it. If he can immobilize the shark, the shark won't be able to breathe. It has to keep moving to keep water flowing over its gills so that it can get oxygen. Otherwise it dies. It's perpetually in motion, a shark. These sharks, the great white anyway. And... (laughs) That doesn't last long because the engine gets completely disabled. And Quint, by this point, he's out of ideas. So Hooper had brought a bunch of scientific equipment on board, and he asks Hooper if he can poison the shark. And he says, well, if I can get him close enough, I should be able to hit him in the mouth with this spear. With spear it's called the bang stick is what it's called. And uh, no, I know this because when I wanted to be an oceanographer, I was studying up on this stuff. What, what, what Hooper is using is called a bang stick. And what you do is you actually, if you jab the shark with it, it will literally fire a cartridge that will shoot poison into the shark. Mm. Bang stick. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so they, he wants to poison the shark with strictly nitrate. And so they, okay, they assemble the cage They drop Hooper, the bang stick, and the cage into the water, but the shark attacks the cage, and Hooper loses the bang stick. It floats to the bottom of the ocean. Can can these guys, Quint and Brody, not see that this cage is being attacked? Because they take an awful long time to try and pull them back up again. Well, the shark is on top of the cage and inside the cage. But it wasn't at first. It started attacking at first, but then they don't bother trying to pull them back up? I mean, I don't know that they can see what's going on. It's not exactly the clearest water in the world. Except for you can see everything under there. Well, yeah. After your eyes normalize to it. But think about, like, looking down into that water. There's only a certain depth that you're going to be able to see what's going on, right? I just thought it was weird because you're going to see that the giant shark is right there. You're going to feel it pulling on it. (laughs) I suppose. And they're just like, oh, I wonder what's happening down there. <laughs> Let's wait till the shark is jumping on the cage, and then we'll try and get him Sharks out. Sharks can't jump. They don't have legs. Come on, Jen. Be realistic. Yeah. So so the, jar, the shark does end up on top of the cage, yep. and Hooper flees. He, fl- he swims down to the ocean floor and, like, hides amongst the rocks. 
It's kind of a smart move. It is kind of a smart move. Now, in the book, Hooper dies. Oh. The shark eats Hooper. And in fact, the, the shark doesn't eat Quint in the book. Mm. The shark simply takes off in Hooper, Quint, Hooper's. The shark takes off after smashing the orca and a rope, one of the ropes that were, that were, the, that were the barrels were attached to, ties itself around Quint's foot. And he gets snagged and he gets dragged into the water and drowns. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know which one's the worst way to go. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so the shark is not done with the orca. He attacks, like I said, and he jumps out of the water, lands on the transom, and smashes the aft of the boat, starting basically starting it to tip. So the, the bow of the boat is coming up. The back of the boat, obviously, under the weight of three tons of shark is pushing down into the water and the two remaining men on the ship are trying desperately not to slide towards the shark brody manages to catch on to one of the ladders but quint is a little bit too far down the deck so he reaches his hand out and tries to stop quint from sliding but he can't keep hold of him Mm -hmm. and quint is trying desperately not to get into the shark's mouth, but as he's like slowly sliding towards this the shark that he can't stop, and its mouth is just chomping at him, and eventually he ends up in its mouth, and it just bites him. Mm-hmm. Blood spews out of his mouth, mouth, and he drags the he drags Quint into the ocean depths. Yikes! <laughs> this is still an effective scene, mm-hmm. like watching. That happened. I mean, yeah, obviously it's a rubber shark, but Jesus, can you imagine something like that actually happening to a human being? No, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I think the the sharks, when I watch in this time, really watching, and it's like, boy, these sharks look terrible in here. <laughs> Which but, is one of the reasons why they didn't show them so much. But. but I don't think that takes away from the movie, though. I think Ooh. it's still scary it's still terrifying thing very that's that's happening and god can you imagine somebody you're working with gets eaten right in front of you (laughs) i mean could you imagine like i can't imagine people i work with getting eaten right in front of me i mean what would have to happen what kind of a weird situation would have to happen that like there would be a shark in a tax office (laughs) would come up and eat one of the people that work there (laughs) you know and i'm just like I'm going to go get a subway. (laughs) The shark's not gone for long. After eating Quint, presumably because there's flesh hanging from his teeth next time we see it, it smashes through one of the windows in the main deck, one of the windows that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. and enters the main cabin. And Brody basically, like, I don't... I've had this debate in my head for a long time. Did Brody know that he was going to shoot the tank... Or was he just trying to get the shark to back off? I think he was just trying to get the shark to back off. And then it just happened to be an opportunity to try and kill him. And that's where I start to... That's where I usually fall. Sometimes I'm like, man, he's pretty smart. Because he knows that they'll blow up. He's told earlier when he pulls the wrong knot Mm -hmm. that if you screw around with the tanks, they're going to blow up. Mm -hmm. And so he knows... So feeding this to the shark, he knows that it's going to blow up if it bites down hard enough or if he can yeah. shoot it, I think. But more often than not, I do land on. He's trying to get it to back off. It does. And then 
He sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity. So he, he climbs up into the crow's nest of the sinking ship, and he is, the shark is charging him at this point. And he is taking shots at it with an old World War II rifle. And he gets, he gets to give us another great line. Smile, you son of a bitch. Takes one last shot. Hits the tank. Blows the shark to hell. And it slowly sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Now, you remember we were talking about Duel last, last month, and you said it was so cool the way that the truck kind of slowly fell down the, mm-hmm. the mountain? This is the exact same thing. And so much so that the roar that they play in this is the same roar that gets played at the end of Duel. He reused the sound effect for this movie from Duel. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Yep. And Hooper comes back up. Now that the coast is clear, Hooper's like, hey, what did I miss? <laughs> he pops back up. Hey, good job, buddy. Hey, I see you took out the shark. Oh, where's Quint? And <laughs> they use the remaining barrels to swim to shore. And that's the end of the movie. Now, I do want to give a little bit of context from the book. In the book, there was an entire subplot about the mafia being involved on Amity Island. And that was one of the pushing, it was one of the, it was one of the contributing factors to the, the mayor wanting the beaches to stay open. I like it this way because it's much more sinister when it's one guy who's so greedy that he can't see past the nose on his face. Right. Also, a subplot that was deleted was Hooper having an affair with Ellen Brody. Mm. Yeah. This extra crap you don't need in a movie. Right. But there is a great scene at the end of the book where Brody, seeing that Hooper is going to get eaten, like, or not seeing that he's going to get eaten, there, there's, the scene is the shark comes up out of the water with, with Hooper in its mouth to show him off and then goes back down to the depths to finish eating him. Mm-hmm. And Brody is kind of like, eh, fuck him. <laughs> he was banging my wife, so that's fine. But yeah, so those are two major plots that were just excised from this altogether. You're right, extra crap that you don't need in the movie. But I do like the idea of Hooper dying and the shark showing off its kill. Just a little, something a little sinister about that as well. So, Do you have any trivia? I do. I'm this sure is this is fun. all stuff you know, but yeah, I'm going to bring it up anyway. I want to hear it. All right, this is... Kind of the first summer blockbuster. It is. This Over is 67 million people in the United States went to see this film when it was initially released in 1975. That's right. You can thank Steven Spielberg for the American blockbuster summer movie. And Universal Pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. now it's kind of a thing. Everything is a summer blockbuster, <laughs> even in the middle of the winter. Yep. damn you steven spielberg spielberg said that when he first read the novel he was rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable they are they are (laughs) such dicks in the in the book they're such dicks so do you root for the shark too i always root for the shark (laughs) even in the movie all right (laughs) i'm gonna let you share this one what's the name of the shark the shark's name is bruce and it is named after spielberg's lawyer I love that. That's hilarious. That's great. And in fact, that is that was one of my online handles for a long time, Bruce the Shark. And then people were like, oh, you like Finding Nemo, huh? 
<laughs> no, Finding like, Nemo like, yeah. <laughs> likes Jaws. I was like, you fucking amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> Finding Nemo. I'll find your Nemo, you son of a... So there were three mechanical bruises made. Yes. Each with special functions. <laughs> when they one, functioned. Yeah, when they worked. One shark was open on the right side, mm-hmm. one was open on the left, and the third was fully skinned. Yep. They each cost about 250000 Now, what I was reading was they tested these in fresh water. They did. They work just fine. <laughs> they take them to salt water, and the salt water wrecked havoc on the inner workings of these fish. It did. In fact... The call was, the shark is not working. (laughs) Whenever there was... This is why, in fact, this is why we get so little of the shark. And it's probably the most lucky bad luck ever. Because it's very effective to not see the shark. To just have the presence be implied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the shark has a total of four minutes of screen time. Yep. It's very little. But you feel it the whole movie. You feel it. And this is because Spielberg shot roughly 25% of the film from water level yes, he did. to provide the viewers the perspective that you were treading water, like mm-hmm. you're in the water with the shark. Shark's eye view. And hey, you want to do another duel? So remember in the beginning of Duel, there's that shot, that scene that bored the crap out of you where they were just basically it was just the car pulling out and driving mm-hmm. at the eye level of the car. Yeah. There you go. See another early Spielbergian thing right there. Bam. All right. Now, the only other thing I have is some alternate casting. So I would like to see, do you have any trivia you would like to share? Because I know you know all sorts of stuff about this. But do you have anything you'd like to share with us before I get to the alternate casting? I'm not prepared. I've already told you the stuff that I thought was really super interesting, I guess. I do know that there there were issues with Martha's Vineyard and the towns on the island not really taking a liking to the... (laughs) Let's call it Hollywood accounting of the production. And and it it was a tenuous piece at best. That being said, I'm surprised that they were able to get back to that island and shoot again for Jaws 2 roughly three, two, three years later. So nah, they paid him for it. They, yeah, they paid him. I guess they paid him enough. I did talk about how there were a bunch of different locals that were, that were put to work on the island. The kids, Mike and Sean, were originally supposed to be a brother, two brothers, that were from the island. They aren't the ones that are cast, obviously. Those are the kids that are, that are that were cast in the movie. But they are in several scenes. The mm-hmm. original Mike and Sean are in several other scenes. So Okay. Yeah. All right. I guess the only other thing that I would talk about would be the camera that they used. Okay. For that, that swimmer's eye view. It was a buoyant... It was basically a floating box with a camera in it. And, and the idea that they would... T- normally... Uh, any studio in its right mind would shoot this in a tank so that you have complete control over everything. Mm-hmm. But Spielberg, Spielberg's rookie ass said, you know what? Let's go out on the ocean and shoot this. It caused all kinds of problems, but we get an authenticity that you don't see in so many movies these days. You know, mm-hmm. there's just a certain authenticity to this film, to the ocean shots you know this was on the water. Oh, one other thing. Shooting star. There's two shooting stars in this. You see one right behind Martin's head right after the shark attacks in the middle of the night. And then one, as we get a wide shot of the of my boat, the Orca, um, mm-hmm. it's shooting behind the, uh, the clouds there. So, 
but I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to, I don't want to go on too long, but. All right. You ready to hear some alternate casting? I am. I, I've, I've, I guess I've never delved into that. Who was alternately cast? Who do you want to talk about first? Hooper, Quint, or Brody? Oh, God. Okay. Oh, wait. I think I know some of the Quint ones. Do the Quint ones first. All right. I think I might know some of the Quint ones. So for Quint, we have Oliver Reed. Okay. Yep. I do remember that one. And the other one I found was Robert Meacham. Robert Mitchum? Yeah. Meacham? Say that one again. Robert Mitchum. And the other one I found is Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. Okay. He's he's good. Have you ever seen you've never seen this, but Night of the Hunter, he plays a, a psycho deranged serial killer preacher. He's got love nope, and hate tattooed on his fingers. <laughs> yeah. Have he's, not uh, seen that. He was in the uh, the original Cape Fear as the as the Robert De Niro. Have you seen the Cape Fear remake? Not the remake. You haven't seen the remake. Have you seen the original? Mm-hmm. You saw the original. I the, think so. What's the, the original? The black and white one? No. The black and white the one remake, has... The remake, then. Gre- okay. The black and white one has has a Gregory Peck. Speaking of Gregory Peck, from the... Remember we talked about Gregory Peck in Duel? How he was going to be uh, David Mann? Yeah. Yeah. So Gre- Gregory Peck was in this movie as a lawyer. You've seen the... So you've seen the Robert De Niro one, right? Yeah. Okay. So Robert Mitchum played the Robert De Niro character. In that. And what the hell is the name of that character? I can't think of it. Anyway. But yeah. So yeah, Robert Mitchum. That would have been cool. I think Mitchum would have done a good job. But I I you know what? I love Robert Shaw. I think Robert Shaw was fantastic in this movie. Alright. Hooper or Brody next? Wanna go Hooper? Go Hooper. Alright. I do not know all these names, so hopefully some of them sound familiar to you. Okay. Joel Gray. I don't know that name. All right, I tried looking him up, and it looks like he's been in some things, but nothing real big. Okay. Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, my God, from Blue Thunder? Or, wait, no, not Blue Thunder, Air- Airwolf. The TV show Airwolf. Did you ever watch that? No, but this dude does look familiar. Yeah, so, Jan Michael Vincent was in was in Airwolf. Good Lord, that movie was... Huh. <laughs> okay. Timothy Bottoms. I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know that one either. Jeff Bridges. Uh, Jeff Bridges. So I could see that. I could see that because Jeff Bridges had kind of a boyish look to him back then. Mm-hmm. And, and Hooper is kind of a, is supposed to be this like inexperienced young, like yeah, young boyish character. Yeah. Scientist. I could see just that. Getting there. Yeah. John Voight. John Voight? It's, it's hard for me to separate John Voight as I know him, like an aged John Voight mm-hmm. from like a younger John Voight because I don't, I haven't seen a lot of movies with him in it as a young man. Sure. As, as opposed to Jeff Bridges, who I have seen a lot of movies of him as a young man, or with him as a young man. So I don't know. I mean, I guess that could work. I guess that could work. All right. Let's go to Brody. Let's do Brody. Well, let's talk about him anyway. <laughs> Gene Hackman. He's got the... He's got the... The cop thing down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Popeye Doyle. In a French Connection, I, I guess it could have worked. Mm-hmm. I'm just so partial to Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider was like one of my idols when I was a kid, which is so weird. He's just a character actor, you know. Yeah. Robert Duvall. Oh my God, Tom Hagen. I'm trying to picture him circa The Godfather. I, I don't. He's too clean cut. Brody looks like he's seen some shit. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and Robert Duvall, at that time, I don't think looks like he's seen some shit, you know? Okay. 
And this last one was very close. And actually, this guy was very upset, so much so that I think he didn't want to work with Spielberg afterwards, if I remember reading somewhere. But Charlton Heston. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's all I, right. I, I'm not sure why. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to be in everything. Who knows? Chuck Heston, he's a good actor. He's just a very hammy actor. You know what I mean? Like, sure. he's good, but he's hammy good, you know? And and I don't think Brody... I, like, the type of naturalistic performance that Spielberg gets out of these three men, and everybody really on in this, in this mm-hmm. production, I, I can't see Charlton Heston fitting in that. I think, too, Charlton Heston is like well-known isn't he at this point it was oh, yeah. the other oh, God, guy yeah. well-known commandments planet of the apes yeah the guy that played brody was he well-known roy scheider i mean he was a he's kind of a character guy he was in so, some like little stuff like so i, I feel like French Connection, it was probably a good move to go with some lesser knowns I as okay these I characters i wouldn't call them lesser known though i mean mm. I, I okay robert shaw had been in like a ton of stuff by this point. Okay. I think the only unknown would have been Dreyfus. Okay. Although he's oh, yeah, been cause... in a few things. I mean, yeah. he'd been in like American Graffiti and a couple of other things. So he was the newest of the bunch. But Roy Scheider right. had been, by that point, he was in... Oh, God. I'm going to have to go and look. I just Dude feel like, though, it sounds like 60s. he's not as big as Heston was. No, no, he wasn't. At that point, he was still kind of a nascent leading man, really. He was, he wasn't even, even in the movies that he was in, he wasn't the, like, the lead for the most part, except for maybe Clute. Like, lead male. French Connection, he was, like, one of the other cops. He, you know, like, I don't know, like, he's just not, Well, for he wasn't me, at the forefront. For me, watching these, yeah. the only one I know is Richard Dreyfus. The other yeah. ones, I have no clue who these people are. So, so Robert Shaw, by this point, had been in the Dam Busters, which is famous for being an inspiration for Star Wars. One of the inspirations for Star Wars. He had been in From Russia with Love. He had been in Battle of the Bulge, Man for All Seasons. He'd been in like all these like big studio movies you know what i mean sure and and i mean jaws jaws is one of the like last movies that he made the dude died a few years later i think Mm. but he was in he was in another peter benchley movie the deep and that would have been i think probably his last movie if i'm not mistaken Hmm, if not the last movie one of his last movies one of like the last two or three maybe sure but Shaw, yeah, I mean Shaw was a known factor. Shaw was one of the okay. Shaw was the guy that Spielberg wanted like to he he needed somebody like big like him to carry the movie. Sure, you know, Scheider and Dreyfus were just starting out, really. Yeah, okay. as far as like major film production, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and Lorraine Gary was like somebody's wife, one of the producers' wives. <laughs> That's how she ended up in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean. Yeah, interesting, interesting. This movie, this movie, in, in 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 relation to Steven Spielberg, the director, this movie is 
it didn't just start the summer blockbuster. This movie jump-started Steven Spielberg. This movie basically... I mean, imagine... Imagine, like, you're a baseball player and you, in your rookie season, set the home run record. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the equivalent here, mm-hmm. you know? Like, all bets are off after this. You can do whatever you want, pretty much. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. And he does. I mean, 1941, so that's all I have to say about that. But, even even against even against your better judgment. But, yeah, so, anyway. Any other trivia that you want to share? Any other nope, notes that, that you have is, that you want to share? That is everything. Okay, I want to throw a few notes out there. The push-pull shot. You know which one I'm talking about. On the beach, when the shark attacks Kintner. There's that shot of Brody where we're pushing in, and the background is dropping out just as fast. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they are dollying in and zooming out at the same time and they're giving us this effect of like everything around him is dropping out it's been used several times before but i love this shot in this movie it is it is a showstopper of a shot i love that shot sure yeah and we already talked about how i love the orca and we already talked about how the indianapolis speech is one of my favorite monologues in film history we already talked about Oh, we should talk about the underwater photography. They hired these people who worked for National Geographic to shoot underwater shots of real live sharks to intersperse with like their mechanical shark when it was time for the big third act showdown. Sure. They had a little person in a wetsuit in a cage in some of the Hooper shots to give it like this perspective of oh look how big the shark is (laughs) but i don't think it worked because i don't think most of that's in the movie yeah but i I guess i should have mentioned that earlier that stuff but now i i love quint quint you said you don't see where but like the dude has some of the best lines in the whole movie some of the best lines in the whole movie right you don't think so? That Quint? Yes. When he when he interrupts that thing, he's like, he's talking about how this shark is going to swallow you whole. This isn't your normal fish. You're going to need me to take care of it. Later on, he's talking about how in the in the Indianapolis speech, he's talking about how a shark's eyes don't seem alive, and he's, he equates them to doll's eyes. And the read is such is so fantastic. And I guess this dude was drunk half the time during this movie, so any performance that they got out of him was a miracle of a performance. Mm-hmm. But Quint, man, oh man, I wanted to be Quint so bad. <laughs> Who had? Anyway, so if we don't have any other notes, where do we stand? Keep rent or erase. And keep in mind, you will not offend me. You will never change my opinion of this movie. Oh, I know so, that. I know. Give it to well, me. we already know best. that you're keeping this. That's true. I'm not even going to have to say it, but I'm going to anyway. All right. I feel like I'm back and forth between rent and keep. Okay. The reason it's at a rent is I just don't watch this movie very often. It is a lot of dull stuff in there to me. I mean, there's stuff in there that I I just don't care. <laughs> you know, I just don't. I get it. But I go towards keep because this movie is the sole 
reason my fear of being in the ocean started from. <laughs> you know me. When we go to Florida, we yeah. go to the ocean. Do I go in the ocean? No, but you go in. You go in about three feet deep, till about knee length of knee, knee depth of water. And even which, that makes me nervous. Which Brody even points out early yeah. on. He says. Isn't it true that most people get attacked by sharks in about three feet of water? Yeah. That's, also, where, that's, how, that's how deep you'll go also, in. Also, up to my knees is not three feet. That's shorter <laughs> than three feet, just so but, you know. <laughs> but my, my, my question to you then, though, is, Jen, if you're willing to go into the depth that a shark would be able to attack you, why not just go whole hog and go all the way in? Okay, number one. How often have you seen me go in up to my knees? Pretty much any time we go to the beach. If we have the kids there, you are in up to your knees. I'm in up to my knees when the kids are there. <laughs> I just don't do it. Like, we'll go to the beach, and I will maybe walk through, the, like, the little one-inch water that kind of comes up and, you know, comes over your feet and, you know, as the waves are coming in. That's <laughs> I, I do not like being in the ocean. And in it's not just because of the sharks. There's jellyfish. There's other living critters in there. I It just <laughs> freaks me out. I just, yeah. it, it, it no, freaks I get me it. out. I get it. I, but I'm this, not, I do not mock you. I don't, I, I, I understand why you don't want to get in the water. This, this movie though was the start of that fear. Wow. And as I was watching it this time, now remember the second time I watched this, I just happened to be in the same room yeah. and I would just look up every once in a while and watch this stuff. Right, right. This time when I'm watching it, I can tell this shark is fake. Right. Obviously, I know in my head this isn't real. I was having panic attacks. <laughs> I mean, I could feel my heart starting to race. I could feel like like that whole like, oh my God, I got to get out of here type of thing. Yeah. When the shark was like coming up and the guy was like the dock fell down yeah. and he was trying to get back up there. Right. I, ugh, I can't, I don't like that. <laughs> and like when the shark was up on the boat and he's like pushing him around and the boat's starting to sink and I, I, the shark cage that, that yeah. sounds like the most horrible experience. I don't know why people do this. I feel like what what is wrong with you? Why would you willingly go down in the water with these things? You have a perfectly good boat. Why wouldn't you just stay I'm, in it? And 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 on uh, as far as the boat goes, there's land. Why don't you stay on the <laughs> land? I mean, why are you in the boat out on the water that the boat could sink and then you're in the water? I do recall that when we went to Seattle, we took a boat ride to what is it san juan island san juan island and you were freaked out the whole time because anything could have been below us and could have like come up and like just capsized us at there any was time. whales in there that were bigger <laughs> than the boat now i respect these things yes absolutely they are gorgeous animals they just scare me and <laughs> and i know it's an irrational fear it's yes, not it is, it's not okay. realistic and it's it's just one of those but it, it, it triggers a panic attack in me. Everybody has irrational fears about something, and this just happens to be your irrational fear. And that, I feel like, is why I lean towards Keep, because Steven Spielberg did an excellent job of scaring the shit out of me as a child <laughs> that still affects me to this day as a grown adult. Oh, my goodness. So while I don't tend to watch this movie and part of the reason why I maybe don't watch it is because it goes back and forth between being very boring and being very terrifying for me <laughs> that's probably why I don't watch it but I do feel like it should be a keep because it did scare me it scared the shit out of me right okay fair enough for me it's a keep I've already told why and I I, I 
I'm not going to go too much deeper into it. I mean, let, look, suffice to say, I used to play Jaws on the playground. I got in <laughs> trouble. so funny. <laughs> passing notes, playing Jaws in the classroom, I got in trouble. And I used to draw the orca on anything that I could find a piece of paper and pen and paper or pen, excuse me, pencil and paper, I would draw the orca. That was my, it was the orca and the enterprise. Those were the things that I drew. I never drew the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It is weird. But you know what? For for Star Wars, for my for my obsession with Star Wars, it actually goes from it goes to me word for word transcribing the novelization of Return of the Jedi into a notebook. That I, seems so weird. I had the novelization <laughs> of I had the novelization of Empire Strike Return of the Jedi. Gee, what did you do for fun this weekend? I would <laughs> I sit, copied a book. I would sit on the tennis courts at recess with a notepad and this book, and I would write it out by hand with a pencil. <laughs> when I like something, I really like something. I'm obsessive about it. And in this movie, Jaws, as obsessive as that is, to say that I wrote out the entire thing of, 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 of Return of the Jedi... I've seen Jaws, like I said, at least twice a year. Mm. Every year of my life since 1970, 1981, 80, 81, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. That's a lot of viewings of that movie. Sometimes I've seen it three, four, five times. I've watched it. That is crazy. I've watched it on VHS. I've watched it on Letterboxd VHS. I've watched it on, I've watched it on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K. I've watched it digitally. I have not... However, seen it in theaters. So the next chance I get, probably when it hits 50, when it's in theaters next time, I will go and see it. So keep for me. All right, Bruce, get off the couch. What are we doing next? All right. Next week, we are going to visit M. Night Shyamalan's oh, Knock at the Cabin. Oh, God. Oh, God. We're going from Spielberg to Shyamalan? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Only on the couch, man. Right, yeah, all right. Only on the couch. Yes, absolutely. All right, so next week on the couch, M. Night Shyamalan. Thanks for listening, everybody, and farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.